no one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless world of space. No one could have dreamt that we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope scrutinizes creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely they drew their plans against us. Dun, da, da. So begins Jeff Wayne's musical interpretation of H.G. Wells' classic science fiction story, War of the Worlds. And I wish I could have had Richard Burton and the proper musicians to do that for you, but, but they're copyright. And ironically, perhaps, the Martian invaders in H.G. Wells' story were, were flawed in their invasion by a simple human virus. But which of us, at the start of 2020, would imagine what was going to come next? You may have seen or read something like this. Can we uninstall 2020 and restart it? The current version has a nasty virus. But of course, in reality, none of us know what today will bring or what tomorrow will bring. As a pastor, I'm frequently reminded of how suddenly life can change. You get up one morning expecting business as normal. And by the time you go to bed, the world has completely changed for good or for ill. An unexpected meeting with a wonderful man or woman and love beckons. A job offer out of the blue. An accident, a diagnosis from the doctor. An unexpected redundancy. An argument with your spouse where words or things are said or done that, that can't be undone. Those moments where our lives suddenly change direction. Theologians sometimes talk about liminal spaces. A liminal space is a posh name for a place of transition, of uncertainty, of threat, of being between the trapeze, the two trapezes in midair. Major life changes are liminal spaces, a new job, moving to a new area, dealing with a loss, a health diagnosis, retirement, and so on. They're all liminal spaces. They are, in the words of Richard Raw, when we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. The old normal has gone, we might say, but the new normal is still up for grabs. Liminal spaces can, can seem frightening, but they also enable us to see new opportunities, new possibilities, to embrace new directions. As we begin John 14, the disciples are about to enter a liminal space, only they just don't know it. Jesus' words in this chapter are spoken during the Lord's Supper. But by the end of the day, he will have been arrested. And by lunchtime tomorrow, he'll be dead. Jesus knows that this is coming, but, but the disciples are totally oblivious. They have their own script for how Jesus' life will play out. And generally, it involves the Romans being sent back to where they belong, with their tail between their legs. And Jesus ruling the whole world from Jerusalem. 
in God's universal reign of justice, peace, and joy, the kingdom of God will dawn. So the disciples' world is about to be turned upside down. Being with Jesus, following him around, being part of his family, as it were, has become their normal. But now a new normal beckons. But before that, there is definitely trouble ahead. In fact, from the disciples' perspective, Jesus has already started to do and to say some pretty strange things, even by his own standards. Firstly, there was that business where he washed their feet and told them that this was to be the pattern for their lives. Then there was all that stuff around the bread and wine, do this in remembrance of me. What, what was that all about? Not to mention all that talk that one of them was going to betray him and that Peter would very soon deny that he even knew Jesus. It was all a bit disconcerting, all a bit troubling. It has often been said that in John chapter 13 through to 17, Jesus is, is preparing his disciples for his death. But I think it's more accurate to say that, that Jesus is preparing his disciples for life in that liminal space after he has died. In a sense, there's nothing he can say now that's going to prepare them for the whirlwind that is about to be unleashed. Nothing that can prepare them for what's about to hit them in the next few days, and he knows they're going to flounder. But he's preparing them for what happens next, for what happens after his death, after his resurrection. He's preparing them for life in that new normal, that space where he's not physically present, where life is constantly uncertain and confusing and troubling. That's the context within which Jesus is speaking and the first thing he wants to say to them is this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I had not realized until this week, but it's very interesting that in the lead up to, to this verse, this passage, three times Jesus is described as being troubled. He's troubled in the face of Lazarus's death. He's troubled by Judas' upcoming betrayal. And he's troubled by his own impending death. Jesus knows what it is like to feel troubled and afraid of the future and angry and, and disappointed and confused even. But he says, these things are not to define you. They're not to define who you are and how you live because there are bigger and greater truths that define you. Truths like this. In my father's house or home are many rooms or, or dwelling places. It could easily be translated in those ways. Two things we need to remember when we look at this verse. The first is that Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death, not for theirs. He's preparing them to, that, to live in that liminal space after he has gone. And the second is that the other time Jesus in John's gospel talks about my father's house, he's talking about the temple. That's what we think the temple probably looked like in Jesus' time. And the temple in, in Jewish thought is God's home. 
God's earthly dwelling place. It's the place where God has promised to be uniquely present. The place, if you like, where heaven and earth meet. And one of the claims that Jesus makes in the Gospels is that he is the true temple. He is the place where earth and heaven meet. He is going to the Father, and the Father is coming to us. I will not leave you as orphans, he says later. I will come to you. And if you read through John 14 through to 17, numerous times Jesus talks about, or Jesus uses the language of abiding. Abide in me, he says, as I abide in you. He makes his home in us, and we find our true home in him, safe, secured, loved, and accepted, as, as Esther was saying earlier. So that our lives become, in a sense, the place where heaven and earth meet, where we are held in the embrace of God, and where the future hope of eternal life breaks into the presence. Sam Wells, the, the vicar of St. Martin in the fields in London, put it like this. The purpose of creation is that God and we be companions forever. And Jesus is the perfect expression of that. Manhood and deity in perfect harmony, as, as Graham Kendrick puts it in one of his songs. Which is why he says, I am the truth. I'm not the one who speaks the truth. I don't represent the truth. But I am the truth, the, the complete expression of God's character and God's purposes in the world. The truth that is with us always. The truth which brings life. The with God life now and forever. Life lived with God. Life lived in God's presence, in God's embrace. The truth that shows us the way. The way to walk. I love it that one of the titles the earliest Christians gave to themselves was that people of the way, they would define themselves as we are people of the way. Are people who do not walk alone, but who walk with and who follow in the footsteps of the one who has shown us what it means to be truly human. The way of love, the way of service. In my father's house are many rooms once there was a temple, but now there are living stones, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, as one Peter puts it, called out of darkness into light, called into adoption as God's children, embraced by the love of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who makes our hope, his home in us, and we in him. I don't know about you, but I was really blessed by Charlie's sermon last week. But one thing further struck me this week as I, as I thought about that parable, particularly the parable of the prodigal son. And it's this, that never was the prodigal son more a son than when he was embraced by the father. Never was the prodigal son more a son than when he was embraced by the father. At that, bought, at that point, he brought nothing to the table, apart perhaps from his failure. But that relationship with the father was never based on what he brought to the table. That's where the older son got it wrong. All that stuff he did for his father, 
when all his father really desired was to be with him, to share his life. Brothers and sisters, we live in uncertain times, you, unsettling times. You don't need me to tell you that. Coming out of lockdown is full of uncertainties in itself. Will there be a second wave? How do I balance all the various risks that I now need to deal with? What about the schools? What about my job? When will we be able to get back into church? And for some of us, maybe for many of us, lockdown has been a time when we've been reevaluating our lives, imagining a new future, thinking about what is important for us, wondering whether we need to change our priorities, change the way we live. But as we're aware, it's easy to imagine that. It's easier to imagine a new normal. But it's actually much harder to make the changes that are needed. So easy to let our hearts get troubled and to forget who we are, to forget that our lives are held within that embrace of God. I saw a wonderful quote at the, at the beginning of lockdown on the blog of an Anglican vicar. And writing about this passage, he said this, he said, I am the place, this is Jesus speaking, I am the place where heaven and earth meet and I now dwell in you, which means that your conference call, home, school, kitchen, media center, home. And have you got any of those? A conference call, homeschooling, kitchen, media, media center. That's a sanctified place, a holy place. I am there with you. And your colleagues are welcome to my temple, that thin place where earth and heaven meet. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And those rooms include those liminal spaces of uncertainty and opportunity. They include those places of guilt and shame and regret. They include those places of fear and unsettledness, those places of weariness and tiredness. Those places of how on earth do I change my life? Those places of joy and encouragement and excitement. These are the places where God meets us and sustains us. These are the thin places where heaven and earth meet. The sacred holy places where, where God is at work. So maybe when, you're, when your kids are making their origami house as Esther showed them how to, Maybe make one for yourself. Maybe put that verse on it to remind you that God is our home. God is our home. We are held in the embrace of God. He abides with us. He dwells in us. He works in us, in and through his spirit. So brothers and sisters, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Live within the embrace of Jesus, the one who washed his friend's feet, who died emptied of all but love, and who rose, because in the end, love is stronger than death. Amen.